Is it just me or did y'all show up this morning? Y'all sound great. Give yourselves a hand. Come on. Woo! Um, I want to start out with something a little bit funny just because I couldn't think of anything a lot of bit funny. I want to tell y'all about two best friends, Archie and Steve. Archie and Steve had a running debate. Archie, in his heart of hearts, he knew that Jesus was African-American. He knew it. And Steve, on the other hand, he knew in his heart of hearts that Jesus was Caucasian-American. Well, you know, as fate would have it, they both died the same exact day. And as they ran up to the pearly gates, they said, St. Peter, St. Peter, is Jesus black or is Jesus white? About that time, Jesus walked up and said, Buenos dias. <laughs> some, some things in life just don't turn out exactly the way we expect them to, do they? Sometimes uh, life throws unexpected things at us, and sometimes that stuff creates adversity in our lives. You know, and, and sometimes when we go through adversity, as we're going through it, there's a lot of pain, and we really can't see any good coming out of that situation. I mean, have any of y'all ever experienced that, gone through some adversity, and while you're in it, just say, I, I can never see anything good coming out of this. But we all know in this room that we serve a good God, right, who has a Bible that tells us that all things, not some things, all things work towards good for those who love the Lord. In fact, it uh, has to be my second favorite pastor, Charles Stanley, uh, has, a, has a quote, which I love. Yeah, you're the first, Daryl. You're the first. <laughs> and, and the quote goes like this. It says, adversity is a setback from which we take our greatest leaps forward. And, you know, I think there's a number of reasons that, that God allows all of us to go through adversity. Uh, I think the first one is kind of like that first song uh, that we sang this morning, to draw us back into a deeper and more intimate relationship with him. You know, do you spend more time in the Bible when things are going great and everything's rosy or when things are tough, when you're in situations where you just can't figure it out yourself? Okay, I know I spend the most time in the Word when things are going tough, okay, when I can't figure it out on my own. Um, and probably y'all have lived, most of y'all in this room have lived long enough to go through an experience where you've actually gone through some adversity and it's taken some time to get past the adversity for you to look backwards and say, you know what? Now I know why that happened, and thank God it did. Can anybody relate to that in here? Anybody relate to that? Um, so, you know, I think there's, there's really three major adversities that we all get the opportunity to go through um, that, uh, that, that, that impact, to some degree, you know, every single one of us in this room. One of them is physical adversity. The other is relational adversity. And the other is financial adversity. So as we go through these adversities, not only are they a great tool to draw us back to the Lord, but I think the Lord also uses adversity to test our faith. Not a test like pass or fail in school, but more like the test um, that they use when they refine precious metals. When they, refine, when they go through the process of refining gold and silver, they use tremendous heat. Um, a lot of stress, a lot of pressure on that precious metal to draw out the impurities and in the process makes that metal much stronger and much more valuable as well. And I think God uses adversity for that same process, to strengthen us, draw out impurities, and to draw us closer uh, to him and his love. Um, in this country, uh, we have uh, seen in the past number of years a tremendous amount of financial problems uh, in this country. Uh, not only from the top with the governments, but also down individually. Many of us in this room have been going through some tremendous financial adversity. And as a certified financial planner, one of the biggest challenges that I see facing families today is money. Uh, how to earn more of it, uh, what to do with it to be responsible once, once we get it. In fact, y'all may be aware of the statistic. It's actually uh, been said out there that over 50% of the divorces that occur in this country are due to financial problems, 50%. And, you know, the, um, the fact that, as Daryl's been taking us through this, um, uh, this process of where we're starting to move into this outreach phase of, of, of our lives, 
And um, I started asking myself, you know, what can I do to help? Okay, what can I do to help as we start moving into this, this phase of, of outreach? Well, when it comes to the financial side of it, being a certified financial planner, I believe that there's really two major reasons why people fail financially. The first is that there is a tremendous void in our traditional educational system in the sense that nowhere have we been taught what to do with our money. Doctors are not taught. Lawyers are not taught. Unless they've got specialized education, CPAs are not taught. But inside that void, also, people have gotten away or never been introduced to God's word, what God says about how we should handle our finances. Uh, God is, in the Bible, is very specific. There's some very clear principles on how Christians should handle and manage their finances. So when, um, when I approached Daryl, talked talk to him about, you know, how can I help, I said, why don't, why don't we do a Bible-based money management course, okay? Not only, yes, to teach them some practical things that they, can, that they can use to help them, you know, how to get their money more productive, how to reduce some income taxes, how to reduce stock market volatility, but also teach them what God says about how we should handle our finances, who owns it, how to be a good steward. So as God, so we talked about it, and we said, okay, let's do it, and we started planning. I started planning this event to do a, a two-session Bible-based money management course. But as God does, he started to multiply this idea. You know, I think God's favorite math subject is multiplication. And he's taken this small seed, this idea, where we could you know, teach our body uh, the, the financial and biblical principles that they need to know to, to be successful financially in God's eyes, but also where we could join together and reach out to our friends and our family and invite them in the church. You know, come to an event that, that would benefit them you know, here in terms of their finances, but also hopefully maybe one or two of them will like us enough to hang around and maybe become uh, brought to the Lord because of it. And if that were to occur, it would be worth every bit of time, effort, and energy that we, we've invested thus far. Well, so God started growing this idea on how we can make it even bigger. And coincidentally, you know how God works, coincidentally, I was introduced to two other gentlemen that are going to allow us to take this small idea of doing two-session financial planning seminar and a third session where we bring it from winning financially to winning at life. Uh, uh, Introduce me to these two gentlemen. One of these guys uh, is here today uh, to kind of give us a brief preview. A good friend of mine, y'all may remember a few weeks back I mentioned Unique Mackey. Good friend of mine who actually is an author who wrote a book about the tremendous adversity that he went through when he lost both of his parents to HIV as a young boy. And how God worked through that adversity for good, for a greater purpose. And there's another gentleman who's joined together with us who said, you know what, I'll lock arms with y'all. And let's see if we can't take this to Jackson County and make this much, much bigger and reach much, many more people for it. How many of y'all have ever heard of uh, Kyle Maynard? Okay. Kyle is a local fellow. Uh, actually went to Collins Hill High School. He was a championship wrestler. He's been on Oprah. He's been on ESPN. I was on a, a plane flight to Vegas last week and saw him on E. Just because he's a championship wrestler doesn't, didn't get him on Oprah, didn't get him on ESPN. He's a championship wrestler without arms or legs. Now, wrap your head around that one for a second. And in addition to that, his latest uh, conquest was he fought in the mixed martial arts arena. So these two gentlemen have agreed to to join arms with us so we can stand up in front of as many people as we can to get to this special night of hope to profess God's love, God's purpose through the three major areas of adversity that we all go through, relational, physical, and financial. And, folks, this is, I'm excited about this because this is a huge opportunity for little bitty Cornerstone. You know, these gentlemen typically are paid thousands and thousands of dollars to come speak at events like this, and they're, doing it, they're donating their time. So I look at this as an opportunity as, as big, if not bigger, than our October event because we can get closer and more intimate with the people that we bring to this event. And specifically, we have the opportunity, I think, to bring a lot more people to the Lord, at least introduce Christ's love to them, okay? So without anything else being said, um, 
I want to introduce my, my good friend who's here to give us a brief preview of what we're going to see from him on that special night of hope. Daryl will be talking more about it. Uh, y'all give it up for my good buddy, Yannick Mackey. Oh, thank you. You know, I need direction, man. I need direction. But he, he just seems to have such a genuine heart for God. And in 2011, it's, it's sad to say that that's something that we don't see uh, very often, even in our teachers. Every, every person that can teach the word shouldn't be a pastor. But your, your pastor loves you. He, he, he genuinely cares about you. And even more importantly, I feel he has a genuine heart for the Lord. So I want to just thank him for this opportunity. And I want to introduce you all to my lovely wife and daughter, uh, Linda Mackey and Elise Mackey. We, uh, it was hard for me to, to get up this morning. Um, I know I shouldn't talk about this at church, but we partied kind of hard last night. Um, it was my daughter's birthday. So um, we had a few friends and a few babies over the house, and they just had a ball. So it was, it was hard for me to get out to bed this morning, but um, it's all worth it. What I want to do is I just want to talk with you all briefly about how adversity can create God's purpose in our life. The author Philip Yancey has a quote that I love, and it says that pain is the only gift from God that nobody wants. And the reason I believe that to be true is because as Christians, I believe that a lot of us aren't mature enough to understand the value of pain. And I know that that's true for me. I mean, when I would read scriptures like James 1, 2 through 4 that said, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Because the testing of your faith works perseverance sounded crazy to me. I mean, it almost sounds masochistic. I mean, what are you saying, that I should be excited about this trial? Should I be excited about this tribulation and trouble that I'm going through? But that's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is not be excited because of what you're going through, but because of where you're going to. And when you go through those pain and when you go through those trials with the proper attitude, God then has the great ability to work those trials and work those adversities in our life to recreate a great perseverance and purpose in our life. So I just want to bow in a word of prayer with you before I share my story and and we can get into it. Bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you once again for this awesome opportunity to commune one, one with another and, and learn more about how we can draw closer to you, Father God. I pray that you will prepare your great people to receive your word this morning, and I pray that you will prepare me as the, the, the teacher and, and, and storyteller today to, to teach your people what it is that they need to know about the things that you allow us to go through in our lives, Father God, I pray that you will clear my heart and mind and that it will be all of you and none of me. And that is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Both of my parents grew up in a small county called Richland County, South Carolina. But despite their humble upbringing, they were both overachievers. My father went to the University of Illinois. He graduated with a master's degree in international communications. He spoke four languages, French, German, Italian, and I believe the the last one was um, Chinese. He made it all the way through school, only making one B in his entire life. My mother was the first person to go to and graduate from college in her entire family. Soon after my father graduated from the University of Illinois, he married my mother and they moved to Atlanta, Georgia. And that's when I came into the picture. 
Now, because of my father's ex- excellent academic resume, he was able to land an excellent job with Delta Airlines. And this job afforded my mother the opportunity to stay at home and, and raise my sister and I. And we kept her very busy. My, my sister was involved in many dance classes, ballet, tap, modern jazz, any dance class you can think of, she took it. And I got a lot of good naps in those, in those, dance, those dance classes. I, I remember having to go to her recitals, and it was just like the most boring thing a young boy could imagine. But I endured through it. Me, myself, I just kept mom busy shopping for bow ties. As you can see, I had, I had a bow tie for Christmas. I had bow ties for Easter. I had bow ties for my birthday. Uh, mama kept me looking good. And we lived a very, very good life. I mean, my life was very extraordinary as a child. Because my dad worked for Delta, I mean, we flew for free. So why not take as many trips as you could in a year? We went to places like Hawaii, Bermuda, Mexico. I mean, we traveled all over the country. And all of this was probably before the age of 10. And people always looked at us as if our life was perfect. I went to the best Christian school in the Atlanta area. Gave my life to Christ at a very young age. And I understood from the things that I was taught that God loved me because he was going to protect me, because he was going to provide for me. And the way my life went, hey, it looked like that's true. So things went on like this for a while. People called us the Cosbys because my dad made a, a lot of money and my and my, when we were the, like the perfect American family. I remember my father getting his first call telling him that he was going to be promoted. And this promotion would move him from the Atlanta area to Florence, Kentucky. And it was around the time that he got that first call that things began to change for me. I remember laying in my bed and, and crying for what seemingly uh, seemed to be no reason. And my father overheard me crying and he walked into the bedroom to ask me what was wrong. I said, Dad, for some reason, I feel like somebody's going to break into our house and they're going to hurt me. And he looked at me and he assured me, he said, Yannick, you don't have to worry about that. Nobody's going to break into our house. And, and certainly I'm not going to let anybody harm you. But little did I know what was going to harm me was already inside of our home. We would shortly make the move to Florence, Kentucky, move into a brand new house. This promotion would make my dad the highest ranking African-American official in the entire Delta Corporation. He was making around six figures. And you guys got to keep in mind that this was like 1987. So six figures then is like <laughs> probably about a quarter million today. So we were doing pretty good. But as soon as we moved into this home, my mother wanted to move again. Not into another home, but into another bedroom inside of that home. For some reason, she didn't want to share a bedroom with my dad anymore. And as a young boy, I just thought maybe dad snored too loud. Or maybe, you know, my wife kicks me out the room often because I grit my teeth when I sleep. So I thought maybe that something like that's going on. And to be honest, as long as mom was waking up in the morning to make my pancakes bre- breakfast, my pancakes uh, for breakfast and take me to play sports in the evening, I don't really care where she slept at. I was still taken care of. Something else started to happen that I really couldn't put my finger on, though. My parents continued to take these exotic vacations, but they t- stopped taking my sister and I along with them until we found out that when they claimed to be taking these vacations, both of my parents were really in and out of the hospital and they had to come clean when the doctor said my mother was gonna have to stay in for a lengthy visit. And my dad said that he wasn't gonna be able to watch my sister and I by himself because of his corporate obligations, 
So we would have to move from Florence, Kentucky, to stay with friends in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, my sister and I took this news pretty good. The people that we were moving with had kids our age, and we enjoyed spending time with them during the summer, so we knew we would still be taken care of. But it didn't really hit me until we were at the hospital and we had to tell mom bye. I remember walking out of the hospital and seeing my dad down the hall, and I seen him doing something that I had never seen before. He was crying. And see, my dad was a tough and ambitious man. He never was in a situation that he felt he couldn't control. I mean, there was three words that I never heard my dad say, and that's, I don't know. (laughs) If you ask my dad a question, you better believe he's going to give you the answer, whether it was the truth or not. You were at least going to get you an answer. So it always seemed like he had control of every situation that he was in. So obviously, when I saw him crying, you can imagine I was confused because that told me that this situation, (laughs) dad doesn't have control of. So obviously, seeing my symbol of strength crying, it made me cry. And my sister seeing me, her symbol of strength, her big brother cry, she starts to cry. And I don't believe we stopped crying until we got to Memphis, Tennessee. So we spent time in Memphis, and we spent about six months there before we actually saw mom and dad again. We got a call from mom saying that they were going to come into town and that they were going to visit with us. So obviously we were elated. I mean, not being able to see your parents for almost half a year would be strenuous for any child. So we couldn't wait till mom and dad got into town. We actually thought that this will be our chance to get to go back home. So they came into town, and it was like business as usual, guys. I mean, we went to movies. We went out to eat. I mean, we had a great time until we were sitting in front of the television one day watching what used to be my favorite television show, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And I remember Dad coming into the bed, into the, into the room where we were watching television at during a commercial saying, guys, I need to speak to you. So we looked up and said, Dad, go ahead. It's a commercial. You got about three or four minutes. He looked at us. He said, no, no, son, I need you to follow me into the bedroom. So naturally, I'm thinking, wow, maybe this is serious. I mean, you want us to follow you into the bedroom to tell us something? So my heart starts to beat a little bit faster. And naturally, I I start to think, well, maybe they're about to tell us they're going to get a divorce. I mean, as I said, things weren't perfect. They weren't sleeping in the same bedroom anymore. So I just knew that's what dad was about to tell me. So we get up, follow dad into the bedroom where I see mom in the corner with tears in her eyes. So I start to think, wow, maybe this is a little bit more serious. So he sits us down on the bed and he says, Unique, Chantal, your mother and I have an HIV virus and there's no cure. Now, being that this was in the late 80s, I had no idea what HIV was. But I did know what no cure meant. It meant that my life was about to be drastically different. It meant that the two people that I loved the most were probably not going to be around much longer. So naturally, I want to know, how does a tragedy like this happen, Dad? How did you get this disease? And he tells me that he had an extramarital affair with a woman that he worked with. So you think that after getting this news, I would ask, well, Dad, how long do you think you guys are going to live? You tell me you got a, a disease that has no cure. But that wasn't my first question. My first question was, who's the woman? I mean, as a young boy, I, I got to be honest with you guys, I was a mama's boy. I loved my mom. We slept together. We talked together. I mean, we did everything. I, I was probably 12 years old before I got out of bed with mom. So I wanted to know, mom, is the best woman in the world. Dad, well, how could you do something like this? Of course, he wouldn't give me the answers to those questions. But what he did tell me was things are going to be different. You guys are going to have to stay here in Memphis for a while while your mother and I uh, figure this out. So dad had to go back to work the next day. So he flew back to Florence. But mom stayed behind. And this 
was good for me because I knew there was more to this story, and I knew mom would give me the scoop. So that next night, as I said, I was a mama's boy, so I crawled up into the bed with mom, and I said, Mom, who is this woman? She just kind of looked, looked at me with a, with a little smirk, almost a, a smile on her face. I said, Mom, you got to tell me, who is this woman? Has she been in my room? Has she been in our home? And she just looked at me. She said, Unique. Now, anytime my mom said my first name before she began her sentence, I knew she was about to say something serious and that she was trying to get my attention. She said, Unique, it wasn't a woman. Yeah, like Eric said, wrap your, wrap your arms around that one. I said, Mom, is this some kind of riddle? <laughs> what do you mean it's not a woman? Uh, that's all there is, right? She said, Unique, your father's gay. So in the last two days, I found out that my parents have an incurable disease and that my father was not who I thought he was. So naturally, things changed for me. It, my book is titled Living in the Shadows, Adversity Creates Purpose. And the reason I titled that book Living in the Shadows is because a shadow is an image that gets produced when light gets blocked by an object. And the light in our light, life is God. First John 1 John 1.5 says that God is light and in him there is no darkness. And there's some benefits that we get from having God in our, in our life, isn't it? He helps us to see. He helps us to find direction. But the image that is blocking that light are difficult situations that help that 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 hurt us when we're trying to commune with God. And the blocking of that light helps to create a shadow. And the shadow is just the adversities that we all have to go through. And I thought shadow was perfect for the book because it's the perfect metaphor for what the Bible teaches us about adversity. The shadow has three characteristics. And the first characteristic of a shadow or our adversity is that everybody has one. Nobody that you know has ever been born without a shadow. What that means is that nobody, not you, not me, not anybody else that we know, is exempt from having to go through adversity in their lives. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that no, what you're going through is common to man. Common means that it's human, that it's every day. And God, I believe, tells us this in his word so that we're not surprised when it happens. And I know that doesn't seem very motivational, but the problem is that too many times today that that truth isn't being taught. We're taught, we're, we're, we're given this, what I like to call this Burger King theology, have it your way. But that's not the way it is. And if we learn that everybody has a shadow, that everybody's going to go through adversity, it makes these surprises of trials and tribulations easier to handle. I remember growing, I was about 10 years old, and um, I used to love Freddy Krueger, The Nightmare on Elm Street. Now, don't ask me why I was obsessed with this guy. I mean, you guys are listening to my story. I had a few problems, right? <laughs> I loved Freddy Krueger, and for one Halloween, I decided that that's who I was going to be. I had the mask, the glove, the whole nine yards. And as my sister's big brother, it was my responsibility to make sure that her life was miserable. I don't know how many of you all are big brothers, but I tortured my sister. So I decided that this Halloween, I was going to scare her every single day with my Freddy Krueger glove. Because the glove had five plastic. You guys remember the glove that Freddy Krueger used to have? Well, mine had five plastic knives. So in the dark, when I flashed these plastic knives, they looked real. So one day I was hiding behind my sister's door and it was dark and she's coming up the steps and I jump out behind her door and I flash my glove. 
So she screams, jumps, and she runs out the room. The next day, I did the same thing. And she screams, jumps, and runs out the room. So this last day, I said, I'm going to get my sister one more time. And this time, I heard her in the kitchen making a drink. So I said, oh, I'm going to get her good this time. I'm going to make her spill her drink all over the floor. So I hear my sister coming up the stairs, and I hide behind the door, and I hear her come in the room, and I flash my glove. But this time she didn't jump, she didn't scream, and she didn't run. She just looked at me in her little sarcastic voice and said, I knew you were going to try and scare me, stupid. And she threw a drink in my face. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's that about? I was just trying to scare her. She didn't have to go there. So later on that night, I asked my sister, I said, Chantal, why weren't you afraid the last time? I tried to scare you. And in her young age, unknowingly, she said something profound. She said, Unique, I knew you were going to do it. That was her immature way of saying, I expected my adversity to come. She knew that me, her big brother, was going to try to scare her. Now, I'm not telling you guys to become negative people to start to think that, oh, something bad is going to happen, something bad is going to happen. But what I am saying is that the Bible teaches us that as followers of Christ, we will suffer persecution. But if we allow God to use us in the midst of that persecution, we will find our adversity, I mean our purpose through that adversity. So after finding out the news that My parents had HIV. We handled it okay. I mean, we kept hope. We kept praying that a cure would come. But it seemed like the more I prayed, the sicker sicker they got. And eventually, 1991, my father passed away. And shortly after, in 1993, my mother passed away. According to an international AIDS organization, avert.org, my sister and I are one of the first children in America to lose both of their parents to AIDS. And I always wanted to be the first person to achieve something, but I did not have that in mind. So we continued to try to live our life. I mean, God is good. Even even through our trial, he prepared a family that we met in Florence, Kentucky. Wasn't even related to us to move down. By this time, we had moved back to Atlanta to move to Atlanta to help take care of my sister and I. This family was great. They sacrificed their life to help us. They did did wonders in helping me to deal with the pain that I was suffering. They helped me to finish my, my high school diploma and get accepted into Georgia Southern University. Now, when I went to college, guys, I had a double major, drinking and smoking. I don't know if any of you guys majored in that, but... That was that's what I did. And it was because I had not dealt with the things that I was going through in my life correctly. I remember walking into this classroom one day so hammered that I could not even find my assigned seat. And it seemed like I walked around this classroom for 10 minutes before I realized in this class we didn't have assigned seats. (laughs) And I could sit anywhere that I wanted to sit. But that wasn't the worst part about it. The worst part about it was that this teacher was the campus alcohol and drug abuse counselor. So naturally, at the end of that class, I got the longest lecture of my life, and I've gotten some lectures. But what she was telling me was right, was that what I was involved with was not going to help. It was only going to make it worse. I don't know if you guys have ever seen those pain commercials. They say, this this pain medication may work, (laughs) but the side effects are blindness, backache, pain, or maybe even death. You start to think, well, why would I even do this? And that's how drugs are. They may make you feel good for for a split second, but the consequences that come from them are eternal. And me never being sober made it very easy for me to get involved in very heinous crimes. I was involved with drug dealing and the iron pipeline. Now, the iron pipeline is when you take guns from southern states where gun laws are less strict and sell those weapons in northern states where gun gun laws are a whole lot stricter. I'll never forget getting out of my car in front of a Zaxby's restaurant. 
about to order my favorite teriyaki wings and things combo with extra Zach sauce. So I'm walking up to the door of this restaurant, and I see a white Ford excursion pull up. Now, the odd part about it was that they were pulled up to the drive-thru, but they were not placing an order. So I don't know if you guys have ever been in a situation where it felt like somebody was staring at you, but you couldn't see them. Well, that's how I felt. So I turned around and I began to stare. Now, keep in mind, the windows on this excursion were pitch black. So they could see me, but I couldn't see them. So naturally, I began to think, okay, I know the type of life I'm living. Probably be made a few enemies, unique, prepared for the worst. And before I knew it, I had a, a, a big black gun in my face. And all I heard was, unique, get down. It wasn't any of my enemies. It was the ATF, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. And little did I know, me and everybody else that I was running with had been under surveillance. And this guy with all these big muscles, strong, kind of reminds me of Eric. Pick me, pick me up and threw me in the back of this Ford excursion. I was going to jail. Shortly after my arrest, I was indicted on federal gun charges, expelled from school, and missed a couple slides there, didn't I? Yes, that's just like me, guys, running my mouth. Yeah, that's where I need to be, right here. United States of America versus Unique Mackey. That's humbling. <laughs> little, little old me against the whole USA. And what was even more humbling wasn't the fact that I got expelled from school, wasn't the fact that I was indicted and I was facing 60 months in federal prison. It was the fact that my two closest friends, when all of this heat started to come down, articles were being written about us in the Daily News in New York, um, all the way to the newspapers in South Georgia. When they saw all of this heat coming down, they figured out, they, they, they figured out that they didn't want to go to jail. So they decided that they were going to put everything on me. And you got it. They started to sing. They told everything. I mean, the feds knew where I like to eat. They knew where I got my hair cut. They knew how many girlfriends I had. They, had, they knew everything there was to know about me. But it was here that I learned about that second characteristic of a shadow. And that is, I don't know if you guys remember the definition, a shadow is an image that's produced when light gets blocked by an object. You can't have the shadow without the light. Remember, the light is the purpose, and the shadow is the adversity. They go hand in hand. Just like you can't create a shadow without light, you can't have adversity in your life without purpose. You just have to look for it. You just have to decide to focus on the light instead of focusing on your shadow, like I had been doing. I was so focused on my pain, so focused on how I felt, so, so angry and upset with God that I stopped looking for the purpose. I stopped looking at the light, the, the, the goodness that was still in my life. So it was at this point I said, I'm not going to retaliate on my friends. I'm going to take whatever charge I'm given. So naturally, that brought me back to God. I always say that tragedy took me away from God and tragedy brought me back to him. I began to pray for God's strength. I began to ask God, why did you allow this to happen to me? And I felt myself getting answers and I felt myself getting stronger. And I got so strong 
that I was not even afraid of prison anymore. I said, God, if you if, if I go to jail, I'm going to start the best prison ministry you've ever seen. And three days before I was due to be sentenced, 60 months in prison, I decided to go back to church. Hadn't been to church in a long time. And I went back to the same exact church that my mother and I used to visit. Sat in the same section that we used to sit in. Enjoyed a lovely service. And as I walked down the steps of this mega church, one person spots me. And she waves her hand like this. And I'm thinking, (laughs) could it be? It was my prosecuting attorney. I had never seen this lady in my entire life until three days before this church service at a pretrial conference. And at that pretrial conference, they were trying to put a little microphone on me kind of like this, except it would go under my shirt. And they wanted me to travel from Atlanta, Georgia, all the way to New York. And they wanted me to get everybody who was involved in our crimes thrown into prison. And she said, Unique, if you do this, you don't have to worry about anything. There'll be no jail time for you. You know what we did for your friends? We can do that for you, too. And whoa, it was tempting. You telling me I could do I could have done all these things and gotten and get away with it. All I got to do is incriminate somebody else. I had a son four months. I need to be there for my child, right? And, you know, I told him I wasn't going to do it because God did not give me his permission. I don't believe it would have been fair for me to have been guilty and go free. So I told her, no, nice offer, but no thanks. We can just go to trial. And she got livid. She said, I'm throwing you in jail, buddy. You don't you don't even have to worry about it. And that's how our conversation ended. So naturally, when I saw her in church, I thought. Should I hug her because we're in church? Should I hit her because she's trying to lock me up? Or should I just run because I'm embarrassed? I decided to give her a hug. And she said, let's talk. So we walked outside. I told her that I was basically a good kid that got caught up in some bad situations. I told her that my parents died of HIV and I never dealt with the pain. And she told me, Unique, I can't imagine how it would feel to lose both of my parents. And I'm a grown woman. So I can imagine how you feel. I'm going to do everything I can to try and help you, but I can't make any promises. Three days later, my lawyer when we were supposed to be in trial, got a call saying, your trial date's been postponed. One of your charges has been dismissed. And Sheila said that she's going to talk to the judge for you. So when our trial date came back around, it was on the judge now. And we could still be sentenced. I could still be sentenced jail time. But that didn't happen. Instead of receiving five months, five years in prison, I only received five years probation, of which I only served three because I did such a good job. I say all of that to say is when you stop asking why I'm going through what I'm going through and start to ask God what, what do you want me to do with it? Your situation will never change. When I decided to stop looking at my shadow and starting to focus on the light, started to focus on God, my situation changed immediately. If I hadn't if I had not gotten out the bed to go to church that morning, if I decided to leave before the benediction. I would have never seen Sheila. And I would have been in jail. For 60 months, deciding to focus on the light, deciding to focus on God changed my life forever. 
And that's what taught me about that third. That's that's Chief Judge Carnes. I'm happy to tell you guys that I've never been back in front of a judge since until I went back eight years later to give Chief Judge Carnes a copy of my book. And she was ecstatic. And that and 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 um, she's agreed to do some things to, to help me in what I'm doing today. So God has a way of turning situations around. So the third characteristic of a shadow, which is honestly my favorite, is there's always more light than shadow. If you go outside on a bright and sunny day, try this, look down, you'll see your shadow. But what you'll also see is an endless amount of light that surrounds it. What am I saying? I'm saying that when you suffer for God, there will always be an endless amount of purpose that will come from it. There will always be more light than shadow in our lives. So I asked God, I said, God, what do you want me to do? I understand now more than ever that my life must have a great purpose to it. The things that I've been through, the grace that I've received, there's got to be something that you really want me to do. So I decided to start a mentoring program for parentless youth. And I decided to start that program in one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in Atlanta, Georgia, called Bowen Homes Projects. At that point in time, they had the highest murder rate in the city of Atlanta. And we went into that neighborhood and we started to mentor. We started to to tutor, buy clothes, give food to these children. And I keep saying we because my partner in this program was none other than Sheila Arnold, my prosecuting attorney. And today, she's like a mother to me. We started this program with eight kids. And about seven or eight months later, it grew to over 200 people. We got businesses to donate luxury buses for us to use on the weekend to pick these kids up from group homes, projects, and drive them to the church grounds. We had Bible study with them. We fed them. We had people give us go-karts so they could ride their go-karts around the church grounds. We played basketball and football. A couple years later, what we called Brother the Brother was adopted as an official church ministry at one of the biggest churches in Atlanta. And today, lives are still being changed because of the adversity that I went through. So now... Instead of going up and down, crisscrossing the highway, the airways, selling guns, I'm now selling books. God has a way of doing things that exceed your expectations if we would only trust him. I look at adversity now in my life like a ladder and a ladder is a tool that you use to reach a higher level and there's some things that God wants for us to accomplish that we would never be able to reach if it was not for the adversity that he allows us to go through so we kind of end where we started What is the purpose of our adversities? And it's simple. To bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. See, Jesus tells us to pick up your cross and follow me. What does that mean? Well, the cross was Jesus' place of pain. His cross was the place that he was in his life that he did not deserve to be. He was innocent. And there are things that we are going to have to go through, and we will be innocent. There will be nothing that we cause 
for financial adversity. We're working hard. We've got education. There's just not a job. There'll be things that happen in our body that we're health. I'm healthy. I work out. I eat right. I don't know where this cancer came from. There will be things that we all have to go through that we did not ask for. We have to pick up that cross, our place of pain, and follow Christ. What did Christ do with his cross? He used it to bring other people closer to God, didn't he? He used it to reconcile our relationship with God. And we're to do the same thing. Each one of us has a story, and each one of us can use that story just like Christ did to bring people into a closer relationship with God. And that's the point. We have to stop asking why, God, did you allow this to happen to me? And start asking, what do you want me to do, God, now that it has happened to me? Thank you, guys. I really appreciate you spending your time with me today. Let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we ask that you would speak to us in just uh, the last couple moments of our service because uh, one story encourages another. One story of mercy and forgiveness and grace and your compassion upon us encourages another. So, Lord, take, take these last couple moments before we head back into our busy week and our world and, and all that we might have planned just even this afternoon, much less Monday and Tuesday. Take, take a moment, Lord, to speak into our hearts. As we did at the start, we thank you for the opportunity to be together as a body of Christ. And so, Lord, we take advantage of this opportunity. And we're going to sit for just a moment, Lord. And thank you for your grace. That it is sufficient for each of us. To not only save our souls, but to to help us through today and whatever today throws at us. And Lord, maybe Monday has something different, but come what may. We know that your grace is sufficient to undergird us and to help us stand under whatever load this world lays on our shoulders that we might be able to press that load, Father, to stand under that load and declare the glory of our holy God. Lord, your grace is sufficient. Speak to us, Lord, as we, as we sit in prayer.